Paul's charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry." Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, that we have, many of us have known uh, from the early days of our life, uh, the words about Christ, your words in the Bible. Uh, and Lord, uh, we thank you that many of us too have come to know your words, uh, even though we may not have known them from the earliest time of our lives. Uh, and so, Lord, as we reflect on your words this morning and the place that they have in our lives and the ways that you can use them, we ask that you would help us to treasure them uh, and to grow as well in uh, hearing and receiving your words in the Bible. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series today on uh, the disciplines of the Christian life or the practices of the Christian life. Last week, we looked at... Uh, the idea of discipline in the Christian life in general uh, and how that fits with God's grace. How is it that we have to put in uh, effort and uh, we have a responsibility and then God is also working in our lives as well. This week we're looking at the particular issue of hearing the word, uh, hearing God's words in the Bible uh, and reading from the Bible. Uh, I've recommended a number of books in the leaflet that might be helpful to you in trying to grow and being more disciplined in how you receive God's words in the Bible. So there are some suggestions on books for personal Bible reading. Uh, there's some uh, books on reading the Bible with your family, uh, as well as some books on reading the Bible in general. 
Uh, I've benefited as well tremendously from Peter Adam, who, uh, uh, who has written a lot on this. So he's written uh, Speaking God's Words, is about preaching, Hearing God's Words, which is about biblical spirituality, uh, and another book uh, called Written for Us, Receiving God's Words in the Bible, uh, which are all great books uh, that are worth reading as well. Uh, most of what I say is probably just going to be a complete rehash of what he said, but that's okay. Uh, he doesn't mind. Uh, but the question that I really want to start with is, what place do words have in our spiritual lives? What place do words have in our spiritual lives? We live, I think, in a pretty visual culture. Uh, we live uh, in, a, in, a, in a world surrounded by pictures, uh, surrounded by films, by televisions, by screens. Uh, we're seeing things all the time. And in that kind of age, in that kind of uh, culture and society, what place do words have? Are words obsolete? What place does reading and hearing have? Uh, it's important to realise, though, I think, that even though we live in a visual culture, reading and hearing and speaking and writing are still the foundational ways of forming and building relationships and establishing trust. Uh, So a picture on Instagram might be fun and it might develop kind of a modicum of relationship, but people still write and people still speak when it comes to the deep matters of their heart. A picture is actually not worth a thousand words. And the proof of that is the fact that when people post pictures on Facebook and Instagram, they always add a caption. They can't help but add a caption. And actually, if you don't add a caption, you often have no context for trying to discern what they're talking about. And even with a little caption, sometimes you're going, what on earth is going on here? Now, actually, pictures are easily not understood. We have no idea what they're saying. But also, pictures are actually easily misunderstood. They are meant to mean one thing, and they mean something else entirely. They're taken to mean something else entirely. No relationships are built uh, not on pictures, but on words. Words start a relationship. My name's Bob, what's your name? Uh, Words can escalate a relationship. Will you marry me? Uh, Words can destroy a relationship. I hate you and I never want to see you again. And words deepen our relationships as we talk about what matters to us and as we share what we're thinking about uh, and as we listen to what other people are thinking about and what other people care about, uh, and as we listen to their ideas and their hopes and dreams and their desires. So I want to spend some time thinking, first of all, about the place of the Bible in the Christian life uh, and its usefulness and its power, so just kind of a bit of a background to the Bible, and then we'll spend some time thinking about how we can try and make hearing God's truth in the Bible, how we can make that a kind of a regular habit and discipline in our Christian lives. So the first thing to say then about the Bible is that the Bible is where God speaks to us. So that's Paul's big point in 2 Timothy 3.16, which we just read. All scripture is God-breathed. What is it? It's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. This book, these, the words in this book are the very words of God. The words in this book are inspired by God or expired by God, actually breathed out. Uh, they were breathed out by God through people whom he used, and they are written down for us. 
Uh, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, these things happened. He's talking about the Old Testament. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So the events described in the Bible happened to other people. They didn't happen to us. We weren't there at the Exodus. They happened to other people, but God caused them to be written down so that we would have them, so that we could hear them, so that we could read them, so that we could know them. Uh, They were written down for our benefit. God is speaking to us through his words about what happened to them. Or listen to what Paul says in 1 Peter 1 about God's words uh, given to the prophets in the Old Testament. So it was revealed to them, to the prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things they have now been told by those, uh, by, you have been told by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So although uh, all those things uh, that were written thousands of years ago by God's prophets were spoken, not simply for them, but for us. So they spoke to people thousands of years ago, but they were written down for us and for our benefit. Those prophets were serving us whom they've never met by speaking God's words and causing them uh, to be written down for us to read uh, and to hear. And God's words in the Bible are his precious, his sure and his certain words. So in Psalm 19, David compares what can be known about God from creation uh, with what can be known about God from the Bible. It's not just, uh, it's not that God has given us only Uh, words and no pictures. Uh, God has given us the great picture of the universe. He's given us the great picture of everything in the universe and that reveals to us the glory of God. God has given us uh, great pictures in the world. We catch glimpses of God's glory and God's grandeur and power as we look at the sun rising and the sun setting, as we see the stars and as we uh, discover the world in all its complexity. We see pictures of God's glory. But David says that that pales, what we see in creation, that pales next to what we discover about God in the Bible. So David writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. He says they're more precious than gold. God has given, not only given us pictures but words, words in which he invites us into a relationship with him, words through which he reveals to us who he is, words through which he changes us to be like uh, his son Jesus. And they're not just dead words on a page. They're living words made powerful by the Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews says, before he quotes an Old Testament psalm, he says, so as the Holy Spirit says, that is, the Holy Spirit still says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That is what God spoke thousands of years ago. The Holy Spirit was still speaking to the readers, the first readers of the letter of Hebrews. And what the Holy Spirit spoke thousands of years ago Uh, to those people. He's still speaking to us. Today, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his words, don't harden your hearts. The Bible is where God speaks to us. As someone once quipped, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. 
Uh, the Bible is, is God's authoritative word. In it, God speaks truly and completely. We don't need anything else. There's no other place where we can discover God. Without the Bible, we're lost and we won't know God. Without the Bible, we'll simply make God up in our own image. The Bible is God's sufficient word. We don't need any other word from God. The English reformer Thomas Cranmer wrote, If there were any word of God besides the scripture, we could never be certain of God's word. And if we be uncertain of God's word, the devil might bring in among us a new word, a new doctrine, a new faith, a new church. Yes, himself to be God. Uh, If the church and the Christian faith did not stay itself upon the word of God, certain as upon a sure and strong foundation, no man could know whether he had a right faith and whether he were in the true church of Christ or in the synagogue of Satan. So the Bible is where God speaks to us. That's the first thing. But because of that, says Paul, the Bible is profitable for the Christian life. If if that's where God speaks, then it must be profitable for the Christian life. So look at verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue on what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So first of all, scripture makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's in the scriptures that we meet Christ, our saviour. Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That is, they're reading them, they're thinking, they're trying to work out what they have to do. But Jesus says, these are the very scriptures which speak about me. That's the point. In the scriptures we meet Jesus. And it's in the Bible that we discover the good news of God, which Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 is the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's what we find in the Bible, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It's in the Bible that we meet Jesus, the very word of God himself, God's ultimate self-expression, the one who reveals God. It's in the Bible that we meet Christ as our saviour. It's in the Bible that we discover that Jesus died for sinners. That Jesus died for the sins of everyone who entrusts themselves to him. It's in the Bible that we're called to repent, to to forsake sin and follow Jesus. It's in the Bible that we're called to count the cost. It's in the Bible that Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary. It's in the Bible that God says to us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the Bible that makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But the Bible not only introduces us to Christ, the Bible grows us in our relationship with Christ as well. So verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The usefulness And the profitability of the Bible is grounded in the fact that uh, it it contains the very words of God. Uh, And those God-breathed words are useful, says Paul, for all kinds of things relating to our training in knowing and loving God in Christ. So they're useful for teaching. That is, they're useful for learning new things about God and what it means to follow God. They're useful for 
uh, correcting and rebuking, uh, for setting us right when we've begun to wander in the wrong paths or when we've uh, begun to corrupt or misunderstand who we think God is. They're useful for training us in righteousness. The implements in God's gym are not weights but words. We don't need a rowing machine or a weight bench to be trained for godliness. What we need is the Bible. And we don't just need uh, to have a Bible on the shelf or in our drawer. We actually need to have the Bible open and God's words in our minds and in our ears and on our lips. The Bible is so useful, uh, says Paul, it's able to thoroughly equip us for every good work. That is, there's no, there's no good work that God calls us to do for which the Bible is not able to equip us. There's no additional manual, no special appendix, no second edition. The Bible is able to thoroughly equip us for every good work. So the Bible is where God speaks to us. It's able to make us wise for salvation, to thoroughly equip us for every good work. The last thing I'll say before we go on to think about how we can make the Bible part of our lives, the last thing I'll say is that the Bible is also powerful. So listen to what God says about his own word in Isaiah 55. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's like rain coming down and watering the the ground and watering the crops. Things grow. The word is the same. It achieves God's purpose. It accomplishes what he desires. It's not that when we read the Bible or hear the Bible that it's all up to us just to put God's words into practice. Yeah, we have a responsibility. We saw that last week, didn't we? That we have a responsibility and God's grace is doing something as well. We have a responsibility, but God says that his words are powerful to do all that he intends. So in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul describes God's words and the words of his own ministry. He says, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. God's words are empowered by God's Spirit to achieve God's purposes. Or my favourite words from uh, the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That is, God's word spoke a world into existence. Let there be light. And God's words spoken through his apostles speak people into Christians. That is, God's words are spoken, people hear them, and people are converted. When we open the Bible and read, and when we listen to the Bible being read, we put ourselves in the path of God's grace. We put ourselves in the path of words which God has said that he will use to convert people, to call them to faith in Christ to rebuke people and enable them to repent, to correct errors that we have in our understanding about God. 
to open our eyes to behold Christ, to reveal God to us, to increase our love, to cause us to forsake sin. To not be a Christian and to be where the Bible is being read and explained is to be in a dangerous place. Because God's words are powerful and who knows what God might do to you. God might make you a Christian without you even intending that to happen. And to be a Christian and to be where the Bible is read and explained is to be in a place of incredible blessing. Because God's words are powerful and God is using them in ways we might never expect. God is using them to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And we may not feel it, but that is what God is doing. Listen to these words again from Thomas Cranmer on the power of the Bible. He says, And there is nothing that so much strengthens our faith and trust in God, that so much keeps up innocence and pureness of the heart, and also of outward godly life and conversation, as continual reading and recording of God's word. For that thing which, by continual use of reading of Holy Scripture and diligent searching of the same, is deeply printed and graven in the heart, and at length turns almost into nature. That is, as we read the Bible, as we search the Bible, God's words are printed deeply, they're graven on our heart, and at length turns almost into nature. God changes our nature, he changes who we are by his powerful words in the Bible. Christian spirituality is a word-based and a Bible-based spirituality. So the Bible is where God speaks to us, it's able to make us wise for salvation, to thoroughly equip us for every good work, and it's powerful because in it God speaks and God's words always achieve his purpose. Uh, In the rest of our time now, I want to think through then If that's the case, how can we make hearing the Bible and reading the Bible, how can we make that part of uh, our Christian life? Uh, How can we make that a Christian habit and discipline? Well, let me uh, just give four ways, I think, that we can build that into our lives. Uh, The first way that we can work God's words into our lives is by having them everywhere we are and everywhere we go and in everything we do. So these famous words from Deuteronomy 6, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, get God's words everywhere. Uh, get them where you can't help but see them. How do you get them into your home? into your hearts and minds, how do you do that? By putting them everywhere. Uh, So I have a picture on my fridge that was done by one of my nieces, which says, I I love this, it's got a rainbow, it says, Uncle Carl, Psalm 52.8 says, I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. And I think that must have been an inspired work of God because those are exactly the kinds of words that I need to read on my fridge every day. I trust in God and his unfailing love forever and ever. Uh, Or I had a friend at Bible college, and you would go to his house, and and over the walls of his bedroom were Bible verses, all these Bible verses printed out. 
Uh, and every time he'd come across a new Bible verse that he needed to keep hearing and keep seeing, he printed it out and he put it up on the wall. Deuteronomy 6 says we should have the Bible's words where we can keep seeing them. Uh, and it also says that we should have them uh, on our lips. Uh, so always be speaking about them. Uh, the example that Deuteronomy 6 gives is, gives is we should talk about them with our children. Because if we don't talk about the Bible, if we're not always talking about the Bible, then how will our children hear what God has to say? And how will they know that the Bible is important to us if we don't speak about it? What we speak about shows what we're excited about. And if all we ever speak about is the football, and I love talking about the football, I really do, but if that's all we ever speak about, then what will that convey? When I was growing up, we always read the Bible at the end of dinner. We didn't always talk a lot about it afterwards. It wasn't kind of, kind of some kind of uh, you know, heavy-hitting 30-minute uh, examination or something like that. Uh, but we always read the Bible. Uh, we always read from a little devotion book, uh, and we always prayed. And sometimes we'd, we'd talk about it. You know, after over 20 years, you have lots of conversations, don't you? But it was always there. The Bible was always open in our home. If you can't think of what to talk about, then use a book that you can go through with your family after dinner. Uh, I've said, I said before, I've recommended some books in the leaflet. Uh, and if, if you're looking for more ideas, you can talk to Rachel Morgan uh, or if you know Ange Van Winden, who are both on the reading or the library team, they have great ideas about books that you can use as an individual or uh, as well uh, in family settings uh, to help you get the Bible uh, as part of your life. The key thing, though, is to get God's words on your lips, to talk about God's words from the Bible when you're in the car, uh, when you're at the dinner table, when you're cleaning up after dinner. Talk about it with your friends. Just get God's words from the Bible everywhere in your life, in your eyes, in your ears, and on your lips. Another way to get the Bible into our life is through the public reading of the Bible. So in his first letter to Timothy, we read this last week, Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. That is, the people should gather to hear God's word read out loud. In fact, in the early church, because nobody had a Bible, that was the only way that you could hear what God had to say, right? You couldn't go home, you couldn't open your Bible uh, after breakfast or around the dinner table. You had to go, you had to meet together to hear it. Uh, so too, after the Reformation, it became a common practice to read large slabs of the Bible during the church service. That was, uh, again, because people didn't have access to the Bible all themselves and also because a lot of people were illiterate. So when Thomas Cranmer set about reforming the church in England, he hoped that most people in every town would come to church for morning and evening prayer every day. <laughs> it's ambitious. And he arranged for parts of the Bible to be read consecutively at each morning and evening prayer service. There would be a reading from the Old Testament, the Psalms, a Gospel, and then from the rest of the New Testament. And the idea was that in the course of the year, get this, you would hear the Old Testament once, most of the New Testament three times, and you would read through all the Psalms in a month, every month. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, as it turned out, 
that didn't work all that well. In the second edition of the prayer book, they cut that back. But it reflects, doesn't it, a commitment to the idea that hearing the Bible and hearing lots of the Bible is really helpful. And it's really important. It's interesting, isn't it, too, that when we have, when, when, when we're encouraged to read the Bible through in a year, we're always encouraged to do it on our own. And how many of us have started a read the Bible through in a year program and never got past February? It's true, isn't it? One of the reasons that we often read out a relatively long passage from the Bible is because it's, in church that is, is because it's important to hear the Bible. I don't know if anyone remembers Acts. You're probably still scarred by some of those weeks where we read a couple of chapters. No, I think one week we read three chapters of Acts. Dave's nodding. He remembers. <laughs> he's, he's scarred. But that was so that by the, by the time we finished going through the book of Acts as a, as a sermon series, we had heard together as a church the whole book. Because let's be honest, if I said, and when you get home you can read the rest, how many of us would have actually have done it? You see, it's helpful to read the Bible together because most of us struggle with the discipline of reading the Bible on our own. And somewhere in evangelicalism, we've actually shifted the, from reading the Bible together to the dominant emphasis being on reading the Bible on our own. But actually, that's really hard to do. When you do it with other people, it helps you to actually do it. So I love reading the Bible and studying the Bible at church and in growth group and one-on-one with people because uh, I'm so lazy that I struggle to do it on my own. And what I struggle to do for more than 10 minutes on my own, I can happily do uh, for an hour with someone else. So I'm meeting with someone else to read the Bible uh, one-on-one and we're going through two Corinthians and we spend... We keep spending way too long. I mean, we talk about other things, but it, we, we set it aside an hour and it go, ends up going for two hours uh, because uh, it's actually easier to do things together with other people than it is uh, on our own. So we can get the Bible into our life by having it everywhere. We can get it through the public reading of the Bible. Uh, but we also... Not only need to hear God's words read, we need to have them explained, applied and proclaimed. Uh, And so the third way that we get uh, hearing God's words into our lives is through preaching, through this. Uh, All through the Bible you find God's people gathering to hear God's words read, but then also explained. One of the great examples of that uh, is Ezra in the Old Testament, which confusingly is actually in Nehemiah. Uh, not Ezra, but in Nehemiah 8, we read about how Ezra gathered all the people to hear God's words. Uh, They read it from daybreak until noon. So that's what we're doing next week, Uh, (laughs) 6 o'clock, here at the church. But it's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, and, And Ezra didn't just read it, he also explained it. So Nehemiah 8, 8 says, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. It's no good if you just read the words and people go, oh, what, what was that about? Uh, or Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. To preach, it's not a word, word we really use much anymore, use much anymore, but it means to announce or to herald something. And the idea, the imagery, the, the history of that word is of a herald sent by a king or a ruler or a government to announce a message. 
You know, the, like in the you know, days gone by, the guy with the bell. Ring, 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 bang, ring, ring, ring. And he goes, hear ye, hear ye. That's, what, that's the message. It's a message from the king. And Paul says to Timothy, that's what you're doing. Timothy is God's herald and he should, says Paul, be announcing God's message all the time, in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not. And the message that he has is not a new message or some new revelation. He's to preach the word, the word written down, the word which they have in the Bible. And he's to announce it, proclaim it, explain it and apply it. And he should use all the variety of the uses of God's word, correction, rebuke, encouragement and so on. Here uh, is, I think, a profound description of the task of preaching. I've used it before, but it's a great reminder. Uh, James Stalker uh, wrote in, in uh, the, 19, uh, sorry, the 1800s, I like to think of the minister as only one of the congregations set apart by the rest for a particular purpose. A congregation is a number of people associated for their moral and spiritual improvement. And they say to one of their number, look, Brother, we are busy with our daily toils and confused with domestic and worldly cares. We live in confusion and darkness, but we eagerly long for peace and light to cheer and illuminate our life. And we have heard there is a land where these are to be found, a land of repose and joy, full of thoughts that breathe and words that burn. But we cannot go thither ourselves. We're too embroiled in daily cares. Come, we will elect you and set you free from our toils and you shall go thither for us and week by week trade with that land and bring us its treasures and its spoils. Oh, woe to him who accepts this election and yet failing through idleness to carry on the noble merchandise appears week by week empty-handed or with merely counterfeit treasure in his hands. Woe to him too if going to that land he forgets those who sent him and spends his time there in selfish enjoyments of the delights of knowledge. Woe to him if he does not week by week return laden and ever more richly laden and saying, yes, brothers, I've been to that land and it is a land of light and peace and nobleness, but I have never forgotten you and your needs and the dear bonds of brotherhood. And look, I've brought back this and this and this. Take them to gladden and purify your life. The role of the preacher, my role, Steve's role, the role of those others who share from the word is to take the time, more time than most of us have, to dig deeply into God's word, into the treasures of God's word and to come back laden and ever more richly laden with the treasures of God that we can enjoy together. But as well as public hearing and explanation and application, there's also personal reading, studying and meditation. That's the last thing. Uh, In the Old Testament, when Israel got a new king, each new king would have to copy out the law by hand. Wow, imagine doing that. There was only the first five books probably that he had to copy out. Uh, And he was to read that so that he could know it uh, and so they could have it on hand to study every day. But what was true of the king uh, in general, that is, he was to be familiar with the word of God, was to be true of the people as well. So in Psalm 1, we have that 
Great image of a person who meditates on God's word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. What are they like? They're like a a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We need to not only hear the Bible, to hear it explained, to have it everywhere in our lives, we need to meditate on it. We need to spend time absorbing it ourselves. We need to chew on it and digest it and reflect on it. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to drench our minds and focus our minds on the words and the works of God rather than all the other things that come in and distract us, rather than all the busyness in our mind. Sometimes it's like white noise, isn't it? You just find that your mind is going over the same things over and over again. You're not even thinking about anything or you're thinking about everything. And we need to stop and we need to speak God's words uh, into the noise of our lives. Uh, How do we do that? Well, David Mathers, in his book, Habits of Grace, distinguishes between three ways uh, that we can interact with the Bible. And I think they're helpful uh, to understand. So he lists reading, studying and meditating. And he writes, uh, there's a place in Bible reading for raking, that is like raking the garden and gathering up the leaves at a swift pace. But then there's a place when we dig in Bible study, we unearth the diamonds. In meditation, we marvel at the jewels. Bible reading is like watching the film in real time. Study is like going through a clip frame by frame. Meditation then, along with scripture memory, is for lingering over particular frames and pressing the significance to our hearts and lives. So there's, there's three kind of ways of interacting with the Bible. There's the quick reading through, getting the big picture, raking up the leaves. There's the digging, that hard work where we need to work to dig into God's word. And then there's stepping back and actually meditating on that and, and pressing those truths into our lives, actually enjoying them. Continuing the metaphor, he points out that while raking the backyard is pretty light work uh, and is done fairly quickly, digging is difficult, backbreaking, and can leave you tired and sore. But unless we dig, we don't get to the diamonds. We might tidy the yard, (laughs) but we don't find the treasures. Uh, And unless we step back to appreciate what we've dug up, we may as well be digging up worthless pebbles there's no shortcuts to getting the word of God deep down into our hearts and minds it takes reading and hearing it takes study and investigation it takes concerted reflection and prayer Uh, Peter Adam recently wrote an article on meditating on the scriptures that was published on the Gospel Coalition Australia and he gave a number of tips for getting God's word into our lives and then into our hearts and minds and I want to just finish with those tips uh, this morning. So uh, tip number one, instead of reading a new passage of the Bible every day, read the same passage for the whole week. Number two, memorise a key verse from that passage and then repeat it to yourself as often as you can each day. Turn the words of your Bible reading, number three, turn the words of your Bible reading and memory verse into prayer. When we pray the Bible's words, we own them and when we pray them, we reinforce them in our hearts and wills. Number four, reduce the amount of time uh, you spend each day listening to or watching the news because our daily news is sadly full of the words of the wicked 
the sinners and the scoffers. It's good to know what's happening, but not good to be overwhelmed and infiltrated with gossip, scandal, triviality and spectacularised bad news. Number five, print out copies of the Bible passage and put them on the doors of your bedroom, bathroom, study, office, kitchen, fridge, sink, dining table, in your car or on your bike. If you have a bike or if you use it. Number six, send yourself a daily email or text message with the verse on it or send it to somebody else for that matter. Put the Bible verse to music and sing it to yourself. Whenever you exercise or travel, meditate on the Bible verse and say it aloud. Tell family and friends and anyone you meet about the Bible words which you're meditating on and encourage them with its message. There's a good chance that whatever you need to meditate on will help others and it will be a ministry to them. And as you say them to others and encourage them to receive them, you will reinforce them to yourself. And finally, get a whiteboard in your kitchen, write the Bible verse on it, and talk about it with your family each meal for seven days. Do corporate biblical meditation, just like in Deuteronomy. God's words are powerful words. They are words from God. They make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and they thoroughly equip us for every good work. We should work hard to make God's powerful words a habit and a discipline of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've just spent time hearing and reflecting and meditating on your powerful words. And Lord, we pray that those words will sink deeply into our hearts and be graven onto them and at length would turn almost into nature. That the truth of your word, that the things that you call us to, that the things that you promise to us in Christ would shape who we are by the powerful work of your spirit. Lord, thank you that as we read the Bible, we hear you speaking to us, not merely to others, but to each one of us. Thank you that we hear words of love and welcome, the offer of forgiveness, the promise of eternal life for those who trust in Jesus. Lord, make us wise for salvation and thoroughly equip us for every good work. Transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. For your glory's sake, we ask it. Amen.